Shurbindur is laying the foundations of the new world, the new consciousness. At the same time, he is entering into various states of yoga. And one of the most remarkable things that we notice in Shurbindo right from the very beginning, in fact from childhood, is what Shurbindo would later describe in Savitri as a wide, unshaken look on time's unrest. I think this is something needed very much. I was just watching on the television this uh, riots in Karnataka and Tamil Nadu and uh, you know, people killing each other for for what? For water. <laughs> they won't share water with as if water belongs to someone. But the uh, interesting part is that it's, it's, uh, it really requires to stretch on the capacity for equanimity to any limit. Otherwise, one can easily wonder what's happening. Is this the new world coming? Will it come this way? But we have to just look at it. And when we go back and we look at those times when Shurabindu and the mother had not yet come to Pondicherry. How much more worse the world was? That is one thing, especially when we look at the First World War and the Second World War, the kind of oppression, the kind of, uh, I mean, riots, even as a child, I remember, uh, it's not maybe just about three or four decades back, uh, riots were quite a common thing <laughs> in, in India. Uh, any religious festival and people were scared, you know, if this religious function is going on, it may end up with um, swords and things like that. So, on one side, yes, uh, the world is improving. On the other side, time to time, it has a tendency to relapse. The old world has a strong grip and tends to pull back. And it's a big cleansing process. But we see in Shurbindo's life, his works, his, his approach, this wonderful capacity for equanimity and endurance. How he lived in Baroda in such a way and we were reading last time uh, what an ideal teacher should be. While his teacher, Dinendra Kumar Roy, he was troubled by mosquitoes and the heat and the cold. His student, Shurabindo, <laughs> who was learning Bengali, he was as if oblivious to all this. It's a remarkable capacity. Not only was he oblivious, he was engaged immersed in those number of books which were there. And he would wonder, what kind of student is he? Neither fond of fanciful clothes, neither fond of fanciful food. Whatever was served, he would take. Sometimes with lot of spice in it and Shivindu did not like it. But he would never complain or grudge or say, you know, make it different. No, I don't like it. Don't you know my taste by now? None of these things. And... Even then, another thing which we notice along with this equanimity, of course, Shirobindo repeatedly speaks of equanimity as the foundation for yoga and for the new consciousness. Any yoga which has to deal with life has to be based on equanimity. Only the world withdrawing yogas, the pure jnana yoga and the bhakti yoga of a individualized bhakti, don't need equanimity. But if you have to work in the world, equanimity has to be the basis. And we see, of course, in... Integral yoga, we are given enough opportunities to practice equanimity <laughs> in department, from people around, everything. It's a wonderful practice because we are in a training ground, no? So, we are allowed. It's like a gymnasium. <laughs> so, different levels. Mental level, somebody will contradict your views and be very sharp, very harsh. At a vital level, 
at physical level so these are all practices you know people ask often that how do you practice uh, yoga in pondicherry ashram so there are different answers at different time but one of the things which i say is we don't practice we are compelled to practice <laughs> situations are created things develop in such a way we have no choice but to practice yoga <laughs> so we are made to do you know shri ramakrishna used to say there are two types of uh, um uh, doctors <laughs> one is who prescribes the medicine and gives it to the patient to buy it take it or not take it the other type of doctor is he makes the patient lie down on the floor puts his feet on the chest pinches his nose so that he opens the mouth then puts the <laughs> remedy inside so i used to wonder what kind of doctor this would be <laughs> now i know that the divine takes it up as a doctor he does precisely this initially he'll give a prescription so he says you are not taking your falling ill then he will explain to you take it then you don't do it then he one day he will put you down put his feet over your chest pins your nose and put the medicine whether you like it or not and you have the effect so you know we are made to do yoga which makes it very simple because you know that that's the best best case scenario possibly <laughs> but we see in shirbinder's life how exactly what kind of equanimity that's why in synthesis of yoga and the gita and his letters maximum emphasis is on equanimity if you look at the synthesis of yoga there are three chapters devoted just to this one single practice so we see that example in shirbinder's life so beautifully even he has to stay away from his family how love doesn't diminish in his heart even for a moment all his letters we can see what tremendous love he has and yet he is not staying with his wife he is not you know expecting her to cook for him to do this to do that utter selflessness utter self forgetfulness and even in his um, you know humility to the students when he is addressing he says uh, you have asked me to give an advice but i feel that the young students today are better equipped to give advice than an old person like me it is amazing i mean when i read it i was surprised that you know on one side uh, we keep saying that you know youngsters don't know anything they are not good and we are the ones and here is shurbindu setting an example and he is just about in 30s and then he is saying this another thing which is beautiful and you know which strikes one is his compassion compassion for everyone anyone who came to him would you know his money would be lying generous hearted kindness anyone could take it whoever needed he would just give generously he was not just amassing money for his family to support his family even sometimes she went into a they went into a difficult phase but shubindu would never complain this is the kind of basis for yoga and you know for particularly for integral yoga because very often when we say it's not a yoga of renunciation so we swing to the other side this is yoga of indulgence it's neither it moves in between <laughs> so of course renunciation is for a greater delight of being and of course divine provides so while shurbindu was engaged in this there are many more things which we discover in shurbindu's uh, personality even before for example his steadfastness whatever he undertook it does he does with so much sincerity when he undertook pranayam i mean i have, i have not known even people who officially practice pranayam and teach to others and are great teachers of pranayam i don't know of anyone 
who would practice eight to nine hours a day for eight to nine months because he took it. So he, when he took it, it was not like okay, I'll do for a short while and that's done. You know, he, he took it in real earnest. And went right up to the end, what it can give. And he, he notes his experiences that lines of poetry began to flow easily. His um, hairs began to shine. Simple solution for those who apply dye. Of course, uh, it also helps us to keep the brain active. So all this he had uh, practiced in real earnest. Whatever he did, whether it be a human relationship, whether it be teaching, whether it be practice of yoga, everywhere we see uh, this perfection, this sincerity in Shurabindo, this steadfastness. If he took up a mantra, he would do it till, you know, he would get the final result. In Alipur jail, he went on meditating on this mantra, Yasmin Sarvani Bhutani. And no wonder, he ended up seeing the Vasudev uh, everywhere. So this is Shurabindo, uh, even before coming to Pondicherry. Uh, what happened in Pondicherry is, of course, uh, beyond our even imagination. Around the same time, we see the mother going through another kind of practice of yoga. She also, lot of uh, interesting things about her own hardships. People don't know. We have this idea that in France and, uh, you know, Europe and America, people are very rich. Uh, absolutely absurd idea. <laughs> so, people are pretty hard-pressed for money. <laughs> yes, it looks rich when we calculate from Indian rupee and yes... Some money can be saved. If you save and turn it into Indian rupees, quite, quite a bit. But they have their own difficulties. But with mother, uh, how, you know, she describes once very casually when she speaks about the collaboration of nature. And she says from childhood, how nature always helped her. And this, she started sharing when she speaks about this morning I asked myself the question, is money truly under nature's control? Because nature had promised her that I'll collaborate. So now collaboration means she needs money right now for the work. So she put this question. I shall have to see. And then she says, because for me personally, she always gives everything in abundance. But look how mother describes this abundance. When I was young, I was as poor as a turkey. Very few people know that, you know. The mother had just one pair of chappals which she would wear and even they would wo got worn off. And she had to continue wearing it. So it, it was really uh, not a very happy state that way. As poor as could be. As an artist, I sometimes had to go out in society as artists are forced to do. I had lacquered boots that were cracked. So she had to, you know, wear those were his, her special dresses. So she would wear those, boot, they, those boots, but that they, they had already cracked. And I painted them so it wouldn't show. <laughs> so she had found a novel way. <laughs> she would just paint them so they would look nice because, you know, she is going out into a, into a social gathering. This is te to tell you the state I was in, poor as a turkey. So one day, in a shop window, I saw a very pretty petticoat, much in fashion then, with lace, ribbons, etc. Of course, now in Indian context, we use the word petticoat in different sense than it is used in the Western context. 
So she says she saw it very pretty with nice lace and ribbons. It was the fashion in those days to have long skirts which trailed on the floor and I didn't have a petticoat which could go with such things. I didn't care. It didn't matter to me in the least. But even then, this she is describing as a child. Since nature had told me I would always have everything I needed. Even as a child she was told this. She was given this assurance. Whatever you need, you will have it. I wanted to make an experiment. So I said, well, I would very much like to have a petticoat to go with those skirts. Much later, mother would say that you believe that the divine would not take care of your needs. Make this experiment sincerely. She says this. She says, make this experiment sincerely. When you have a real need, you go to the divine, tell him that you have this need, ask him for it, and then don't ask anyone else. She says this. She says, see what happens. I was not aware of this experience of mother, where she says, I got five of them. They came from every direction. But without knowing this, this is an experiment I had done. Just, just after turning to mother and Shivindo, but not as an experiment. I said, whatever I need, mother will give me. So I was told that, you know, don't be so foolish. You, you need certain things. So I, we made a list of 20 things which I needed, which I found is an exaggeration. I was going on holiday and I said, I'm not going to purchase anything. And if I need it, it will come. Everything came from different places, including shoes, socks, combination. Nobody gives combinations. So I got a pant from one place and a coat from another and they were just the perfect combination. So it was such a clear cut example that, you know, uh, whatever you need and, you know, till date. And I'm sure this is everybody's experience if you just trust her. Much more because we are her children. So nature has promised to her. And it naturally provides to those who have turned to her and are in their hearts know and acknowledge as her children. And it is always like that. So on one side she has a life, she has, she has never misused this capacity. She lived a life of poverty. She never misused this to get things. She had this capacity. Nature would provide. She has done an experiment once. But she didn't say, okay, get me new shoes, get me this, get me that. I never ask for anything. She has this, this, this great assurance. But if by chance I say to myself, hmm, wouldn't it be nice to have that? Mountains of them pour in. So again, last year, mother now comes back in 58, I made an experiment and I told nature, listen my little one, Nature is like her baby. Listen, my little one. You say that you will collaborate. We, we saw this message in that uh, wonderful program that children had done, ballet dance, where, you know, the joy, nature has agreed to collaborate and the joy of collaboration. So after that, so listen, my little one. You say that you will collaborate. You told me I would never lack anything. Well, then, to put it on a level of feelings, it would really be fun. It would give me joy to have a lot of money to do everything. <laughs> I feel like doing nothing for herself. 
by then 58 she has his number of people to look after and mother always wants her children to have the very best when the dining room plates changed from those porcelain to steel people were so happy and they went to mother mother we are so happy mother said what you are happy with this i want my children to have in gold she is not happy <laughs> children are happy she doesn't want children to be deprived and you know because that's her love it pours out there is no conditions it's not that you are good you are not good you are doing just that her children how she how even a human mother loves so divine mother how much more to what extent it's not that i want to increase things for myself so she tells nature no she never had a room for herself it's much later that a room was built that too we know bare minimum she didn't want anything for herself but for everyone you give me more than i need but to have some fun to be able to give freely to do things freely to spend freely i am asking you to give me a crore of rupees for my birthday <laughs> it is very sweet <laughs> 58 she says you give me next birthday crore of rupees i want to do things for all my children and of course many things she must have she wanted a studio in lake matri mandir was not yet in sight she wanted to build a studio film studio in lake she had also given a name also given a message for it in service of truth and beauty so but uh, anyways her dreams divine dreams will always be fulfilled sooner or later who will fulfill where it will be fulfilled we don't know then she says she didn't do a thing <laughs> nothing happened nothing absolutely nothing a complete refusal did she refuse or was she unable to then she sees that the money power was under the control of the adverse forces they didn't listen to nature and there are very interesting examples of mothers battle with the adverse forces where nature comes and tries to help her in fact there is a very interesting uh, example of a very long vision it's an action where all the adverse forces are throwing bombs all over and trying to destroy cities and mother knows she has to reach there and she can demolish everything but she is in great danger and that's when nature opens a door and pulls her inside says you please stay here don't go they are very bad people <laughs> see no i have to go no no don't go they are very bad people you need things i'll give you see this pink bathtub this experience she will refer number of time see this pink bathtub why don't you use it so she sees it's a tub which is full of dust so she says okay let me clean it she cleans and say ah this is very nice then she says you see you see this one this is also very nice why don't you use these things and then mother describes what were those things they were old realizations which were buried under time's dust and nature was offering to her you please take this vedic realizations upanishadic realizations why do you want the new creation you be happy with it all these are with me i'll give you nobody will touch you she says of course these are very nice but i have to do that i can't help it and she goes and then it's a long very long experience she refers to this pink bathtub number of times especially when she speaks about some of the old realizations of the vedic rishis she says they were very beautiful my pink bathtub that's how she puts it but that's not enough so then she comes to that 
what to do now nature cannot do so she has rapport with everyone the adverse forces have told her that they are they, they don't tell her but all the wealth is guarded by a huge serpent she sees that serpent and the serpent says see i can't stop you if you want to go past me you can go past but they will kill me they have put me as a guardian to all the wealth so and they have put conditions so mother asks these the serpent what is their condition let me see if i can fulfill it so the serpent says the adverse forces will release this wealth only on one condition and the condition is a complete conquest of the sexual impulse in the entire humanity she says <laughs> no in individuals yes but in entire humanity it's a tall order it's an impossible condition so they don't they don't uh, they refuse she doesn't want that snake to be killed she doesn't want to do anything with force and violence she says okay you stay let me find other avenues and that's when she encounters ganesh so we had the ganpati festival and mothers encounter with ganesh we had a meditation in 58 she is saying more than 30 years ago so maybe 28 29 or more than 30 sorry so before 28 so just around the time ashram is formed in the room where prosperity is now distributed there were eight or 10 of us we used to make sentences with flowers and then one of the sentences was on prosperity and one day when the subject of prosperity or wealth came up i thought they always say that ganesh is the god of money she has you know come in contact with the indian ethos a fortune of the world's wealth i thought isn't this whole story of the god with an elephant trunk merely a lot of human imagination she not encounter ganesh she has seen many gods and goddesses she has at 21 in 1899 she had realized conscious union with the supreme she had already become an adept in the yoga of the gita and the yoga of buddha before coming to pondicherry she has seen many gods goddesses great beings but ganesha has somehow not come into her her realm of experience so she says is it really is there someone like that there upon we meditated and who should i see walk in and park himself in front of me but a living being absolutely alive and luminous with a trunk that long and smiling so ganesha comes and sits <laughs> you call me mother <laughs> i am here <laughs> literally like that she just thought about it is there and he comes and presents himself so then in my meditation i said ah so it is true that you exist so ganesha tells mother of course i exist and you may ask me for whatever you wish from a monetary standpoint of course and i will give it to you so all these gods have come to help so sometimes we wonder this also shows how the divine working is so very often we think oh divine means he doesn't need anything anyone he works through the cosmic forces why shouldn't he when somebody had a heart attack prithvi singh nahar she sent ashwin kumars and ashwin kumars come and he suddenly sees twins because he was calling mother he sees two beautiful young handsome beings 
suddenly come with some bag on their backs and they look at him so he says who are you if mother has sent you you are allowed to touch me and not otherwise <laughs> so they smile and enter into his heart obviously it's a subtle experience and he experiences that they are massaging him his heart and after 20 minutes and applying uh, some herbs from that bag and he is all right and they vanish so prithvi singh thinks is this must be ashwin kumar they look like once and he sent a letter to mother it's there in prithvi singh nahar's book letters to the mother so he asked uh, mother that where they the ashwin kumars they are of course the physician of the gods she says yes of course you called me so i sent the ashwins to help you they are not supposed to come to human beings it below their dignity so she can take help from any of the cosmic forces just as we see in ramayana rama in the vast play taking help from many beings so she calls ganesha and ganesha comes she says ask me anything so i asked she asked money which she needed and for about 10 years it poured in like this gesture of torrents it was incredible i would ask and at the next darshan or a month or several days later depending there it was it would come in torrents money was coming and coming then of course after the war it all stopped during the war 38 37 the war and slowly it trickled and then she asked ganesha what happened to to your promise and he would not say anything he would not even show up and say so she was wondering why what has happened so she would even keep statues of ganesha near and remind him see i remember you and i remember my promise but nothing would happen so one day she asked that what is it what is the problem so ganesha told her your demands have grown too large i can't cope with it <laughs> so she asked what do you mean my demands i have to run an ashram there are people who depend on me then he didn't answer but shurabindu came and shurabindu tells her it was shurabindu and he answers that he has uh, ganpati has power only over those who have faith in him which means it's limited to india so even our relation with the gods is limited by our faith while i needed money from america france england africa not that he has no power there and and that he has no power there so he couldn't help it became very clear i was at peace i understood very well he did his best that's all so he tried his best he is a lovely child of the mother and whenever it was possible and whenever there was somebody who was an indian who could give money ganesha continued to do it and it was a beautiful relation but then the problem is that when we read all this this particular person we all know of course to whom mother had particularly said that you pray to ganesh and he'll give you inspiration because money was needed and he could give money and money poured in through him but if we make a religion out of it a cult out of it then it becomes problematic so this also she makes very clear because in the new creation the relation with the gods also has to change so somebody says that mother people think that shurabindu's teaching is a new religion and mother says those who say that are simpletons 
and don't even know what they are talking about. It is enough to read everything Shurabindu has written to know that it is impossible, she underlines it, to found a religion upon his writings. Since for each problem, for each question, he presents all aspects and while demonstrating the truth contained in each approach, he explains that to attain the truth, a synthesis must be effected. She also says, when people asked her that, you know, should we pray to the gods? She said, those who want to continue praying to the gods, it is their business. But they should know that it has nothing at all to do with the supramental yoga. It has nothing to do with supramental yoga. Then the disciple asks, so what should be our approach toward the God? She says, a luminous understanding. You should know they are helpers in the work. That's it. Your friends. The relation is of high and by at the most. But not to come under them because otherwise they like to keep. And what is worse, if it's a true God, it's still okay. But what is worse is that very often it's not that God, but a vital entity which comes and occupies. And then she says, men are such fools that they can change anything at all into a religion. So great is their need for a fixed framework for their narrow thought and limited action. They don't feel secure unless they can affirm this is true and that is not. So either ways we can make a religion. We can make a religion when we say, oh, this must be done. We can equally make a religion when we say, no, this should never be done. We don't know. In each one it is different. <laughs> some people do it this way, some another way. As long as the aspiration is there, the key element, the surrender is there, the faith is there, we are moving on the path. And each one will have his own experiences. The more sincere we are, the faster we will move. That is the basic catch. But depending upon our unique past, depending upon our unique future, we all will go through different approaches. Then, of course, he says that there are great truths in all this. People who... See, mother brings both the truths. On one side, she says... Yes, you can establish the Godhead in an idol. You can charge it. An idol can actually contain that Godhead, if you know how to do it. But that doesn't mean we have to go and worship and pray. Because all our prayers have to go to the Supreme. This also she says. At one point she says something very interesting. So, the disciple asks her that, uh, these gods and all these, are they objective realities? She says, well, in a sense, yes. There are certain beings that man has created and there are some which are actually existing before man came into creation. There is a whole story which she has recounted. It's a long story. We will not touch upon that today. So, then he asked, you mean relative? So, what really is objective? The disciple asked the mother. Mother gave such an answer that if we just meditate upon it, it will blow off everything. She says, the only objectivity is the supreme. <laughs> Here we think that is the most subjective. She says, that is the only truly objective reality, if you mean. All else is relative, therefore is, is not depending on how you look at it, from where you look at it, in space-time context, but the only objective truth is supreme. But yes, divine beings exist. 
we know they have their reality but even in worship what happens mother says but if you take real divine beings this is not at all something they value they do not like to be worshiped they don't like it no it does not give them any special pleasure at all and it's it's a pity sometimes even within the ashram we have these not the pujas which we do officially but there are you know people who believe you should do it and that kind of traditional worship gods like something else not this kind of worship so she is revealing a great truth don't think they are happy for they have no pride the true gods it is because of pride that a man likes to be worshiped no if you move across pondicherry not in this part fortunately but if we have the uh, misfortune to go a little outside you will see huge cutouts of human beings in different different postures and when i have gone once in a while it is so amusing and becomes even more amusing because one of them actually lost the election or rather won it but couldn't become whatever he wanted to become and it's so silly but the posters are there all through huge cutouts human beings full of vanity they like it and i used to wonder what kind of consciousness would it be who wants this kind of stuff who doesn't stop his you know people from saying don't waste money in this rather if nothing else feed the poor which is what they believe in <laughs> but such cutouts as he says man likes because of his pride if a man has no pride he doesn't like to be worshiped and if for instance they see a good intention or a fine feeling or a movement of unselfishness or enthusiasm a joy a spiritual joy these things have for them an infinitely greater value than prayers and acts of worship and pujas so what do the gods like they don't like this kind of puja so what do they like if there is an unselfish act generosity gratitude enthusiasm unselfishness spiritual joy that they value and then she says i assure you what i am telling you is very serious it is it's always a pity to see ganesha's it's a sad thing it's it's the if there is anything called as blasphemy it is this only poor ganesha can't say anything sometimes i feel if he were to really start dancing on people's head he would drown all of them into the sea instead of them and to what extent it goes there was a huge ganesha with modern goggles and two rakshasa like people standing on the two sides putting their hands on the tusk as if you know it's nothing but their throne and this is how you know that's why shubhendu says in one of his aphorism men like to humanize gods so that they can give them a good beating so i thought that they are actually taking out all their anger and frustration on ganesha and the kind of drunk uh, dancing so she says it's serious if you seat a real god in a chair and oblige him to remain there all the while you are doing puja he may perhaps have a little fun watching you do it but it certainly gives him no satisfaction none at all 
he does not feel either flattered or happy or glorified by your puja you must get rid of that idea he wouldn't be a god if he didn't know what is happening in your heart he knows the intention he knows the people he doesn't get amused there is an entire domain between the spiritual and the material worlds which belongs to vital beings and it is this domain that is full of all these things because these beings live upon that are happy with it and it immediately gives them importance and the one who has the greatest number of believers devotees and worshipers is the happiest and the most puffed up but how can you Im- anyone imagine that the gods could value so two things we take home point from here you know there are also nowadays self styled masters who want more and more disciples the more the disciple the greater the movement surely there is a vital being sitting out there second even if it is the image of anyone mother gives umpteen examples of images of kali ganesha we should not be fools and just be carried away by appearances oh is ganesha turti and lot of drums are being beaten let me at least say pay my obeisances in all likelihood we are paying obeisances not to ganesha but to a vital being who is enjoying everybody's consciousness and he will take his own fat share lion share of our own so two things become very clear what we should do instead an act of true goodness intelligence unselfishness or a subtle understanding or a very sincere aspiration are for them infinitely higher than a small religious ceremony infinitely there is no comparison mother didn't even have to call the gods she would sit for meditation and the gods would come and she would say all of them trimurti lakshmi saraswati all of them would come and sit on the ledge why because they know who she is and this is something very interesting at one place she speaks about the domain of the gods and she speaks of music and since mother is you know indian context for some reason she has she doesn't she she, she makes a remark that you know some of these gods they are quite full of pride and she doesn't speak very uh, as if they are not aware of music its exact things i'm forgetting but it was to this extent that they are not um, so much into the world of music if you go to that domain it goes ah she says it goes higher than the domain of the gods the domain of music so then she says next day some of these gods came to me saraswati with her veena krishna with his flute and shiva and they say of course we play music we love music <laughs> so it touching incident the gods would come to her and say of course we love music mother please don't don't say we are good for nothing we also love music i mean it was her relation she is jagdamba she can say anything she can play with them she can tick them off she can hold them close to her heart but she that that does not mean that we should start doing that worship in the it's her relation with the gods and she had to do that because she has to change these gods back into their original status so that they don't interfere with their progress that's why she tells durga that why don't you surrender to the supreme do you like all this and she says i don't but what to do my worshipers don't leave me and she says please surrender to the supreme and she surrenders to the supreme and has the joy of surrender 
religious ceremony there are so many of these entities called kali for example who are given besides quite terrible appearances so many are even placed in houses as the family goddess they are full of a terrible vital force and to think that men worship such terrible and monstrous things and what's more that these poor gods are given are paid the compliment of believing that it is so she says that and what is worse is human beings treat them like this and then of course at the end all this worship prayer to the gods she has seen a film rani rasmani where you have shri ramakrishna you know he is he represented the highest synthesis of the old world the over mind where all these paths unite so all that you know even now if you go to some of their um, ashrams you'll have this daily evening aarti praying to kali with this you know thali the way shri ramakrishna used to do it but when ramakrishna did it it was something else because he was ecstatic he forgot who is kali and who is he he would often pick up the flowers and put over his head and people will say he has gone mad and he would say they don't know there is such a oneness i can't help it i can't make a difference between kali there and kali here that is ramakrishna you can't turn it into a ritual and believe that you know by the same practice in the same evening you can achieve the same truth it's not possible so she saw that movie and then she says suddenly she came in contact with that old world repeatedly she says the old world was the overmind world the world of the gods and she sees all that is gone so last three or four lines we will read that and stop with that she speaks that when she saw this whole thing after seeing the movie what did she feel it seems strange that something so new so special and i might say so unexpected should happen during a film show rani rasmani for people who believe that some things are important and other things are not in that old world puja worship they were regarded as spiritual things other things are worldly things she says it's not true and other things are not that there are activities which are helpful to yoga like puja and others which are not well this is one of one more opportunity to show that they are wrong it's not true at all we were shown comparatively clumsily then she describes the whole picture and then she says and suddenly i had concretely materially the impression that it was another world this world of prayer worship dhubbatti and tan 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 whatever you know different kinds of music so she says a world that had ceased to be real living an outdated world which had lost its reality its truth it had its truth at some point of time which had been transcended surpassed by something which had taken birth and was only beginning to express itself but whose life was so intense so true so so sublime that all this became false unreal worthless this old world of this kind of puja then i truly understood not with the head but with the body i understood in the cells of the body that a new world is born and is beginning to grow a world beyond the gods 
we stop here.